I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to that book of Micah. Maybe you're already there. We're going to be in Micah 3 today to begin with. Balance. Balance is an important thing. It's important for our our bodies. And you know, when you injure any part of your body, the reality is the whole body can be affected by that one injury. Some of us have had a cracked rib, and we know how that feels. We know how that just messes up everything. For me, it's typically been hamstrings. Uh, It was a 4th of July family reunion quite a few years ago. And somebody decided that we needed to do a softball game. And the softball game, and it was a large group, would be the married versus the unmarried. Uh, And so the softball began. And I was having a good day. Uh, I was having a very good day. In the second inning, I hit a three-run home run. Now, of course, whoever was running in front of me, I was like behind them, pushing them through to to home plate. But I I hit a three-run home run. I followed that with a line drive double. And, man, I was doing great. It was going to be an all-star day. The next batter came up. Remember, these are the old people. These are the married people. We are taking it to those kids. So the next batter came up and followed with a long single, and I knew I could make it home. And I came chugging around third base. I was going as fast as I could go, and about halfway between third base and home, oh my goodness, everything went wrong. I pulled my hamstring. I'm now stumbling to home plate, hoping I get there. I hit home plate, and somebody, let this be a lesson to you kids, clear the bat. Somebody, the the, the hitter left their bat there. Nobody cleared it. I stepped on the bat with my bad leg. Now I'm just crumpling to the ground. Nobody came to my rescue. They laughed a lot. So here I am in pain. I'm out of the game. I don't have balance. I can barely walk. I'm kind of struggling along. One injury. Throughout the rest of the week, every time I got out of a chair, it hurt. Every time I I began to to walk, it hurt. Sunday comes along. I get a big old ace bandage and I wrap the hamstring because I'm going to tell you, nothing's keeping me out of the pulpit, right? I will play injured if that's what it takes. So right before the service, at that time we were doing a lot of singing before the sermon, I run back into the bathroom back there and I reach and I rewrapped that leg and, you know, get all set up, come running back out, come right up here to the pulpit. I think this was early when we had this pulpit. We used to have one that was really big. You could hide behind it. Is this one? In those days, my son and my son-in-law and my daughter were all part of the congregation. They were sitting right back over there. I stood up, I began to preach, and I noticed my son and my son-in-law nudge each other. And then my son-in-law leans over my daughter, and he points at me. And then they start laughing, quietly of course, but they're turning purple in laughter. And I'm looking at them, trying to keep my concentration, and watching, you know, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, laughing at me. And then I knew what they were laughing about. The nightmare of every public speaker. In my rush to get out of the bathroom, 
I had failed to connect and to take care of one part of my slacks, and my fly was open as I was preaching. I was able to kind of slip back behind here, and we took care of matters, but every, and, and the point is, when you're injured, everything is wrong. Everything is out of balance. I was out of balance. There's a certain balance in life that when it gets out of kilter, it just messes up everything. That's the way for us spiritually. When we are spiritually out of balance, everything is out of balance. That's the way it is in relationships. Relationships should be balanced. And if they're out of balance, it messes things up. And Micah, in Micah chapter 3, points to a larger group of individuals. He breaks them down into three segments. But basically he's saying, you are out of balance with God. And because you are out of balance with God, the nation is out of balance with God. And he's talking about the leadership. And today we're going to look at three different segments of leadership that Micah addresses. And then we're going to wrap it up with some realities of what biblical, what godly leadership looks like. Micah is going to point his finger at the political leaders. He's going to point his finger at the prophetic leaders or the religious leaders. And he's going to point his finger at the judicial leaders of Israel. And he's going to say, you're all out of balance and God calls you to correct things. Now, oftentimes, when you open your bulletin and you see the title of the sermon, it's about leadership, it's so easy to say, whew, I get a pass today, I'm not a leader. But like I prayed a few minutes ago, I honestly believe in one way, shape, or form, every one of us find ourselves as leaders in some way. You see, a leader is responsible to set a tone for the person he or she leads. And whether you're a, a parent or an older sibling, whether you're a supervisor at work, or maybe you're not the supervisor, but you've been there for longer than others, and so the newbie comes in, they're going to look to you. In your home, uh, in so many ways, we all find ourselves in leadership positions. And ultimately, we're to follow the ultimate leader, and that is Jesus Christ. So let me begin. Micah chapter 3. Micah says, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? By the way, that's sarcasm, okay? There is sarcasm in the Bible, and you'll see how it's sarcasm. Who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces. Who chop them up like meat for the pan, like for the flesh pot. Then I will, they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. In very graphic language, Micah says, the way that you leaders are leading the people is almost reflective of cannibalism. You are taking people and destroying them for yourself. I would summarize it this way. Those that are in any sort of political or civil leadership, political leaders are to serve people instead of taking advantage of them. 
These leaders that Mike is describing just in these four verses care more about themselves. They care about their own comfort than they do the people who've put their trust in them. And so there's that sarcasm that he uses, you who hate good and love evil. You know, that, yeah, that's how you are. You hate good, you love evil, and that's how you live your life. He uses this image of a wild animal that captures its prey and eats it and only cares about satisfying its hunger, doesn't care about what it leaves in its wake. That'll be for the other vultures and all to take care of. And it's just ravenous, and these leaders were doing that. There were leaders that would just, they, they, their only concern was, how do I use my position to increase my power for my own advantage? As I thought about that, I, I, I wanted to, I, I was thinking about, well, what, what's the opposite? What's the opposite of that kind of self-serving leadership? And I remembered an article I had read several years ago. I went back and I found it. The article kind of gives us, the, the, the illustration gives us the opposite of what Mike is talking about. It happened on January 22nd, 2009. It was two days after Barack Obama had been inaugurated. On January 22nd, 2009, the brand new First Lady, Michelle Obama, called for a staff meeting. 3 o'clock p.m., designated room. Her staff showed up on time. They walked into the room, and what they found was the room was filled with plumbers and electricians, carpenters, housekeepers, kitchen staff. And there was the First Lady in a pair of jeans and a T-shirt with her hair back in a ponytail, conversing with all of these people. She got them all together. She pointed to the folks that had come in in their suits and ties and everything, and she said, this is my team from Chicago. And then she pointed to the other end of the room, and this is our team at the White House. you got to realize some of these people had been working in the White House for decades. One of the things that we don't realize is there are people who serve in the White House who are not there for any political reason. They're there to take care of the plumbing and the carpentry and the electronics and everything else. Some of those people had actually delayed their retirement. They wanted to serve a little bit longer under President Obama. She got the group together and just had them mingling, getting to know each other. But her biographer, Will Peters, says she got her own staff together and she gave her advisors this warning. I want you to know you will not be judged based on whether these people know your name. You will be judged based on whether you know their names. See, in that meeting, she set a tone as a leader that the people who serve her staff are as important, if not more important, than the people who were there. The staff would come and go, but the White House staff, the servants, would be there week in, week out, day in, day out. And she set a model of other-centered leadership. That's the complete opposite of what Micah's talking about here. The leaders of Israel, the leaders of God's people, were setting a self-centered leadership that it was about them. Micah saw that. And he says this, he says, here's what's going to happen to the self-centered leaders. Verse 4, you're going to cry out to the Lord someday. 
And he's not going to hear you. When you live for your own benefit, God wants us to know, I am fully aware of your actions. I am fully aware of what you're doing. And when you cry out to help for me, when you need my help, God says, I'll hide my face from you. You had that opportunity and you chose not to. He says, I'm not going to pay attention to you. I can't think of a worse place to be. I can't think of a worse place to be than to realize that because of the way I live my life, the way I took advantage of others, the way I hurt others, the way I put others second, that God, the God of the universe decides he doesn't want to pay attention to me. You see, people who choose to lead in civil matters and in politics, one of the things they say to their constituency is that I'm going to represent you fairly, that you can trust me to manage your trust, the public trust, with integrity. And God holds public leaders accountable for just that. And even if you and I find ourselves in a leadership role that's not as public, we need to take heed. You know, maybe you're just a supervisor at work, just. Maybe, maybe you're a teacher in a classroom. Maybe you're a teacher in a Sunday school room. Maybe you're the, the team lead at work or a parent. Or maybe you're, you're a leader in the local parent-teacher association. Maybe you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm just a parent at home. <laughs> Huge leadership. We need to be people who always care about those who we are leading. We need to be people who seek to serve the best interest of others. Because leadership is not ever about self. It's about others. It was bad enough for Micah that the political leadership was corrupt. But it gets even worse when that corruption seeps into the religious realms of the culture, when it seeps into those who should be pointing others to God. And so in the next four verses, five verses, Micah turns to the prophets and more broadly the religious leaders. They had a, they, they had a job. The prophet's job was to observe the culture and then to speak truth into the culture. They were to look at how things are going and what does God's word say and how do we speak truth into the culture. Sometimes we think about prophecy as just telling the future. That's only about a third of all biblical prophecy. Most biblical prophecy is this is how you're acting. This is how God wants you to act. But if you don't, then this is what God's going to do. But the most of it is here's how you're acting and here's how God wants you to act. And in verses 5 through 8, we read this. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace. If they have something to eat, but prepare no, to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Spiritual leaders are to point people to God instead 
of getting rich from them. Notice what he says. He says, who lead my people, they proclaim peace, verse 5, if they have something to eat. Other words, I'm going to proclaim God's peace if you make sure I'm taken care of. But if you don't make sure I'm taken care of, I'm going to wage God's war against you. Using that in quotes. Basically, the more money you give me, the more I'm going to speak truth that sounds good to you. The more I'm going to speak God's blessing. Uh, the more money I give, you give me, then, then uh, we're going to, you're going to enjoy what I have to say. But the less you pay me, the more severe the judgment I'm going to pronounce. They are marketing the truth of God's word. And Micah says, there's going to come a day. Just as God's going to turn his face away from the political civil leaders, there's going to come a day when you're not going to see a vision. You're not going to have God's divine revelation. Uh, you're only as good as a prophet as the truth that you preach and the validity of your message. Once again, whether we know it or not, we lead people spiritually. Now, I, I've shared with some of you sometimes, as you've shared with me, conversations you've had at work and, and in the neighborhood and all. You know, I, my title is pastor, but some of you do a great deal of pastoral work during the week as you provide comfort and a listening ear. And, and, and you may not be, uh, you know, having people drop to their knees and pray a prayer to ask Jesus into their life, but you are living Jesus in front of them, and that is so important. These individuals were selling a version of God's message. And you know what? They weren't speaking God's truth unless it worked for what they wanted to sell. See, we live in a time when God's truth is being challenged on all sides. And, and that's nothing new. You could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent comes into the garden and his first line is, Did God really say... See, God's truth has been challenged from the beginning. And you can look back through history. God's word was used by some to, to justify slavery. God's word has been used to justify racism. God's word has been used to manipulate and divide people. God's word is truth, but it needs to be presented as truth. And you know when it's truth, when it's moving us into deeper relationship with God. If God's word is, is invoking fear and being afraid of everything out there, or if it's being used to, to uh, make you follow just one individual, or if it's used to divide, it's not truth. God's truth always moves us closer to relationship to God. Not to following a person or a movement. Micah, after all of this, and says you're going to be ashamed, you're going to be disgraced, you're going to cover your faces because God's not talking to you. Then he takes a moment and he evaluates himself. And he says, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sin. Micah saying, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. Uh, you know, we saw last week that Micah wept 
over the sin of his people. His heart was broken by their sin. Micah is willing to speak the truth even if it's not popular. Micah looks at his standard and says, my standard is the spirit of the Lord. God sets my standard. God's truth sets my standard. Micah doesn't mince words. See, Micah's not afraid of being perceived as rejecting cultural norms or hiding behind them. He's not afraid of being old-fashioned. He's not afraid of being called narrow-minded. When you think of the many voices we have, so much access, so many voices, be it social media, be it on the internet, be it on the radio, on the television, uh, there, we have access to so many voices. And they can sound so good and so polished. I mean, I have the access, I have a little program on my computer. And I actually use it every week and I kind of edit things down. But you know what? I can go into that program because it's digital, not the old analog stuff that we had back in the day. It's digital. And I can, I can clean up my voice. If I, can, if I can record it just right, I can insert things that I wanted to say. I can sound so polished and so smooth and so good. You can do that. We can, and so we can, we can edit out things and make us sound authoritative. So how do we discern who to listen to? What are the voices that you're listening to? When I look at this segment of Micah, I come back to that basic truth. Is that voice pointing me to God? You see, I need to be aware of those whose message, no matter what side of the spectrum they come from, I need to be aware of those people who have a fear-based message. You know, I would encourage you even this afternoon to take time to just slowly read through Psalm 46. Psalm 46 reminds us that even if the mountains fail and everything else, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Beware of fear-based messaging. Beware of nationalistic messaging. Every human institution, every human nation will eventually fail because only one survives. That's the city of God, our God. Beware of a message that ends with a call for you to give a generous donation to support the cause so that the message can go on. You know what? Beware of that. The message is the God of the Bible who calls us to follow him and him alone. Micah says, that's the who I am. Now, he turns to one other, one other group, verses 9 through 11. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound of overgrown with thickets. Judicial leaders are to be impartial instead of being swayed by power and wealth. The, Micah turns to the leaders. Their task was to settle disputes. 
their task was to understand the law of God and then correctly interpret the law of God in issues of disputes. Now, the judiciary in the 8th century B.C. was not all like ours because their law was the law given by God. It was the Torah. It was basically Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Largely, they depended on Deuteronomy. And so that was, that was the compendium of the law. And God had given them so many ways. He had thought through all the issues the, the principle of impartiality is always the same. Whether it's God's law or human law, the judge is to be impartial. You know, you hear often on the news about a judge making a decision, and they always will tell you which president appointed that judge. And I think that's one way of subtly saying, you know, they're going to be a little biased here. They shouldn't be. I mean, what's the statue of Lady Justice? She's blind, not blind like kind of looking through the eyes like peekaboo. She's to be blind. She's to be impartial. But the reality in the world is whenever you find people, you'll, define, you'll find disputes. And God says, I've designed a system where when you have disputes, you can come to these experts. They're going to listen. They're going to consider all the actions. They're going to look at what I've said. They're going to hear the witnesses. And they're going to make an evidence-based decision that comes down in accordance with God's law. Not so in Micah's day. Notice what he says. They uh, build Zion on bloodshed and wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. You got money? I can get you out of it. And so they were caring about their popularity and their bank account more than they cared about what was right. Judges who distort the truth until the results are satisfactory to the highest bidder. Verse 11 summarizes all of this. We see this. They bri judge bribe for a price. What do her priests do? They teach for a price. What do the prophets do? They tell fortunes for money. Everybody in leadership was looking to line their own pockets. And Micah calls it out because God calls it out. And they say, well, the Lord's among us. Hey, we're God's people. Remember, he chose us. He chose Abraham. And then Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob. God's chosen. God's not going to let anything bad happen to us. We're God's chosen. And, and, and so they, they teach this message and, and they drew people in. You see, if anything really torches God, it's when you claim to be God's chosen, God's blessed, and then you live in a way that you think you're immune to any sort of accountability to God. You and I cannot actively live outside of God's standards. Oh, we call that sin. We can't actively live outside of God's standards and yet still claim all of God's blessings. It just doesn't work that way. And while it may look to the casual observer that what Micah is talking about here was, was going on and people were just getting away with sin, that's an illusion because we serve a God that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
God expects that anyone that claims to have a relationship with him will live in such a way that others can see that relationship. You and I are God's representatives on this earth. Remember, we are made in the image of God. And when we come into relationship with Christ, when we ask Christ to come into our lives, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Paul would say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are reflective of God. How I live my life is to reflect God. People ought to see in me something that is just a little bit different. We're God's hands. We're his feet. We're his mouth. Someone has said a long time ago, you may be the only Bible another person reads. And there's real truth to that. So how I interact with my neighbors and my coworkers and the, the well, now we do self-checkout. But back in the day, the checkout person, how I interact with the people in the store clerk. Some, I saw someone say, how I treat the server that serves me if I take somebody out for lunch. All of that, how I treat those people says more about me and my relationship with God than sometimes anything else. Now, there was an interesting thing. I'm going to just make it a side note. It's in your notes. Micah is actually referenced in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah came some 70 to 100 years after Micah. But at one point in Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah was about to be hauled off and just taken out. They were going to kill him. And some of the older men, older elders in the group, older gentlemen and, and leaders said, whoa, whoa, wait, time out. He's only saying what Micah said. And they actually quote Micah chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will be a heap of rubble, and the temple mound will be overgrown with thickets. And as I thought about that, a, a thought that I don't want to dwell on today, but it's important, is honest leadership adjusts to reveal truth. These guys heard, read what Micah had said some hundred years later and said, you know, Jeremiah is only saying the same thing. We should be very careful what we do with him. I want to just spend a few more minutes here in chapter 4, just in the first five verses, and I want to give you the contrast. This has all been kind of dark, and you're kind of, we're all kind of like, ugh, you know, so where's the contrast? There, there are some contrasts. Verse four, or chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read it just a few minutes ago. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. The peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Biblical leadership directs people to God. There's coming a day, Micah says. It's the last days. People are going to go, I want to seek out God. I want to go to where God's people are. Uh, oh, the people would do that today. But until that time comes, when, when Jesus comes back and sets everything right, when people go, this is where truth is, it's up to you and me who, to show who Christ is to anyone who's in our sphere of influence. 
anyone should see us by every means we need to be directing people to God by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we conduct business, by the way we live in the neighborhood. People should see God because a day's coming when he's going to set it up. But now is the time to show people who he is. Verse 3. He will judge between many peoples, will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not rise, take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Wow, what an amazing time. Can you imagine a time when there's no more war, there's no more news of war, when those instruments of war, back in those days it was sword, they turned them into implements for gardening, when the spears turned into instruments for fishing, where there's safety for everybody. You see, biblical leadership now follows God's peace and settles disputes peacefully and equitably. We long for that, don't we? But that's not going to come because of diplomacy. That's not going to come around the negotiating table. It's not going to come because of treaties that are signed. It's only in relationship with Christ that we find that peace. And while we may not be able to bring about that truth on a national scale or an international scale, we can practice it on a daily basis. Several years ago, and this will tell you if you're a weeknight, you'll know how long ago this was. I was driving north on Main Street, and I was right about at where the smokehouse used to be. And I'm in the right-hand lane, and the next thing you know, I'm just minding my own business. I was actually going to pick up my wife. She was working in Carroll Stream at the time. Had my son with me, and I'm driving our van, and I'm just you know paying, uh, minding my own business. All of a sudden, a car just goes, boom! And hits me on the driver's side. Just, it's like, am I in an adventure movie that I didn't know about and I need to get him back? And it's like, this was early cell phone days, so I did call my wife and went, ugh, I just got hit. It's going to be a while before I come and get you. I literally had to crawl over and get out the passenger side door. But it wasn't just that. This person, after they hit me, went into the other lane and rear-ended a BMW. You know, if you're going to rear-end something, try an old van. Don't rear-end a BMW. Come on. And, and so I was able to get the car into a, a parking lot, and th- they pulled over. Um, and uh, I remember getting out of the vehicle finally and saying, you know, everybody's okay. That's what matters. And we'll, we'll get it all sorted out. The police officer came. He said the same thing. We're going to get this sorted out. Everybody's okay. That's what matters. So they got sorted out. I got a call from the insurance company. You know, we'll take your van to wherever it's going to be. We're going to take care of everything. This wasn't your fault. You know, they, they rented a car for us. We're all done. Back in those days, we were actually at several times a sponsoring church for a group called Victory Camps, which were Christian sports camps in the area. And, and part of being a sponsoring group was to show up and to register kids as they came and to welcome them just to be a friendly face. And so I was there working the registration for the children in the morning session. And I look up and I know I should know this person. I think I've seen this person before. And they kind of gave me one of those looks like, 
I think I know you. Now, you got to understand being a pastor and having gone to Moody Bible Institute many years ago and having spent 15 years in a seminary town, there's often times when I, hey, yeah, I know you. So, you know, it's kind of that. And, uh, you know, we didn't say anything, but it was like, yeah, you know. So at the end of the week, when it was all done, I had opportunity to get up and just talk about Pleasant Hill Community Church. And if you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you be part of our church, etc. They come walking up to me and they said, I know how we know you. We hit your van two months ago. Ah, I remember that. They were missionaries in Costa Rica. And in fact, the BMW that they hit happened to be somebody that went to the church that they went to. Along with the police officer happened to be part of the church. The folks at the BMW became part of their support team. I don't think that's in any missionary literature of how to, how to raise support. You just go rear-ending cars and pick it up people. So, obviously, I'm the pastor of Pleasant Hill Church, you know. And she said, I meant to write you a thank you note. She said, uh, everybody was so kind that day. I'm just blessed by people not being livid that I messed up a couple cars because of my own fear and lack of attention. You know, it was, it, was, it was actually a good moment. It was one of those sweet reunions of God's people who had actually worked through something that could have been really nasty in just a, a calm way. Now, I'm not usually a calm person, but God worked in my heart that day. But you just imagine. What if I'd have gotten out of that van? What are you doing? Did you get your license out of a Cracker Jack box? What is going on here? My goodness, you know, I got places to go. Can you imagine if that would have been me? And then a few weeks later, hi, hey, welcome to Pleasant Hill Community Church. Hey, we want to be your church. Can you imagine? What impression would those kids of that missionary family had of a pastor? What would I have reflected about God? But see, as a, in biblical leadership, we have to settle disputes peacefully and equitably, even if we're disadvantaged a little bit. And, and Mike is not done. Verse 4, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. See, biblical leadership trusts God for their own needs. That's what he's talking about. When you sit under your own vine, when you sit under your own fig tree, it's the fact that you are sitting there in peace because God has met your needs. That's the imagery here that there's going to come a day when we will never have to worry about our needs because God provides. I'm going to tell you that day is today. God meets our needs. We have great security in our relationship with God. And I would once again tell you Psalm 46. Lord God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore I will not fear though the mountains give way. God is our refuge and strength. We can trust God for our needs. And then he finishes it here. 
All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Biblical leadership lives in a way that reflects God's truth. We will walk in the name. In the name is an important word. It means character. You know, we used to talk about how our name is important. Name isn't just my last name, Howington. My name should reflect the character. My hope is that when someone says, Pastor Scott Howington, they think of a certain character. They think of, a, uh, they think of really how, how God hopefully works through me. Now, I know I've made huge mistakes. I know I've messed up. I know I've accused people of having their license from a Cracker Jack box. I know that. But I hope that when I've erred, I've taken time to sit down and maybe do my best to make it right to apologize. When people think of the name of God, they think of the character of God. It's because biblical leadership lives in a way that reflects God's truth. The bottom line had verse 5 of chapter 4 of Micah been followed, chapter 3 would have not been necessary. Walk in the name of the Lord. Live in a way that reflects His truth. This past week, I was at a funeral for a fellow local pastor and a friend. Devin Leftwich and his family have actually been here and been at Pleasant Hill a couple times. Uh, He's played our piano. He's an amazing musician. I learned he'd been playing the piano since he was four years old and then learned notes after that. And he's led us in a prayer time. He's been here just to worship with us. I've been connected with Devin for years. Uh, Someone asked, how long have you known him? I don't know because to know Devin once was to have a friend. Uh, We've been in pastor's groups. We've been in different times of fellowship. We've ministered together. We've been on leadership teams together. And I was given an amazing privilege. I was asked by his widow if I would share just a story about Devin and something that helped me remember him. And so I was pleased to be able to do that. As I was sitting in that service, as I was singing and worshiping God with people, as we were there and there were times of tears and times of uproarious laughter, It struck me that my friend, 51 years old, who's now with the Lord, exemplified the kind of leadership we're talking about. The kind of leadership that leaves others better because they've been in his presence, in in the meeting that he ran. The kind of leadership that made them realize, okay, if this guy follows Jesus That's what I want to do. This is what following Jesus looks like. The kind of leader that pointed other people to Jesus in each thing that he did. You see, there was spiritual balance in his life. A good balance, a good sense of who he was, a good sense of where he needed to grow, a good sense of what God had done in his life. How you and I live today will have an impact on how others respond to the truth of the Word of God. And that, doesn't ma- that, matters, that is true whether we're in a formal leadership position 
or just an informal leadership position. It's how we live today. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminders that we see in your word this morning. The reminders to, bottom line, just live in a way that truly reflects who you are in our lives. May we be, may we be the kind of leader that truly shows others to you. May we be the kind of neighbor, the kind of friend, the kind of coworker, the kind of fellow parent at school, or in the, fine, the kind of person that just gets met on the street. May we be the kind of people that others, whether they can put their finger on it not or not, know that we, like the disciples, although we might be ordinary and unschooled people, they take note that we've been with Jesus. That's what it's about. In Jesus' name, amen.